Welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who want to embrace their quirky, sensitive selves, play big, even as they continue to stay healthy, and find their flow in a wonderful, even if not so sensitive, world. This is episode 20, and I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show. A note to all of my listeners, uh, this show is in the middle of a slightly awkward transition phase. I'm right in the middle of upgrading the show's intro and overall sound, and so this represents something right smack dab in the middle of what was and what will be. You'll notice, for example, there wasn't any music in the background. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I was in one of those weird spaces where a part of me wanted to wait until I had everything in order before broadcasting another episode, and another part of me just thought, nah, just go for it. And since I'm constantly preaching to my clients and listeners that done is always better than perfect, I thought I would take my own medicine and try this as an experiment. So thank you in advance for your patience with the transition stuff. Okay, got that out of the way. So now for the show. Today's episode takes us through the next stage of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you recall, we were going through each of these phases and sort of customizing each one of them for HSP. Uh, So the idea is to investigate how we can go about becoming our best sensitive selves. And I'm just using Maslow's hierarchy as a kind of roadmap slash mm, modality, so to speak. So just as a quick review, so far we've covered one, physical needs. So that's right there at the base of the pyramid. We need food, water, warmth, and rest. This is true for everyone not just with HSP, but with HSP, it gets a little more nuanced. Leave it to us to make it more nuanced and complicated. Um, So for example, HSP are more likely to fare much worse than the average person when their blood sugar is low. I think we were the quintessential inspiration for hangry people. Water, uh, we tend to notice when we're dehydrated sooner than most. All we need is some chapped lips to get to the sense of, oh, I probably need a cup. With warmth, we don't just need warmth, but we need not too warm and not too cold. This is especially true when it comes to sleep. We can't get to sleep unless we have the Goldilocks of temperatures. And rest, since we're talking about sleep anyway, uh, we not only need enough sleep, but we need to have plenty of time where we can simply be awake and do nothing, or be awake and meditate, reflect, create, Something that allows us to process through all of the gobbledygook that our little brains pick up on. Step two. Once we have all of that physical need stuff taken care of, we can move on to safety. We need to feel secure. Everybody needs this, so Maslow was not preaching this to HSP. It's just that highly sensitive people are exquisitely sensitive to their surroundings. So when we feel unsafe, we suffer a little bit more, and when we do feel safe, we appreciate it a little bit more. So safety is great for us. Uh, This is true physically, so feeling like we're in a space that is physically safe, as well as emotionally. Uh, We don't fare well in conflict, and we tend to be targets, actually, for those who are predatory, so sociopaths and narcissists alike. Uh, Number three, belonging and love. Since we're talking about predatory relationships, (laughs) we need the opposite of that. We need to have relationships that feed us, just as anyone else would. Our unique challenges here are simply that we need to find a way to balance our need for quiet alongside our need for intimacy. 
So on the one hand, we desperately want connection. And on the other hand, connecting is a little more challenging for us because it can quickly drain us. In romantic relationships, we're also more likely to see problems more quickly and reflect on those problems more often. Lucky us. Also, lucky our partners. <laughs> Once we fall in love, we tend to put a lot of effort into making it work, so yay. Uh, but we suffer more than the average person during conflict, so, you know, trebu. And so, that moves us now up to the fourth ladder. We need, drumroll, esteem. Esteem, the need for prestige and a feeling of accomplishment. Or, if you want to go by a textbook definition, esteem is defined as admiration and respect. So, basically, the gist of this is that once you have a sense of belonging to a group, our previous level, then it's about understanding where your place is in the group. In other words, once you find yourself safely belonging somewhere, you kind of want to know where you fit in it. We crave respect from those around us. We crave esteem. This is no less true for HSP than any other, which also means that all others need esteem just like we do. If anything, though, we may invest a bit too much in esteem. We see tremendous value in pleasing others, our ability to detect nuance in the expressions of others, and our inherent distaste of conflict combines to create a perfect storm of how can I best please people around me? Fabulous. So HSPs process things, and that includes processing the consequences of our actions. Not only do we think, what would happen if I did this? But we ask, what would happen if everyone did this? That's part of why HSP tend to be so conscientious. They're not just thinking of things like, oh, what would happen if I took a candy without paying for it? It's more like, well, if I'm taking a candy bar without paying for it, and I accept that that's fine for me to do it, and then I also have to acknowledge that other people may go through the same reflection, and if everyone somehow feels like it's okay to do this, we land in chaos. Candy bar is probably a terrible example to use there, but you get where I'm coming from. So highly sensitive people tend to reflect deeply on their own behaviors, which therefore would kind of lend itself well to uh, the way we develop or seek out esteem from others. We want to see others reflect back to us our good behaviors. We want that esteem very, very much. If we get praise from people around us, we feel particularly pleased. It's like getting a drug. It's like, ah, it's a great high. Or maybe it's like getting a bonus on your paycheck. But, you know, squared. Because not only do we have something when we please others, you know, we, we don't just want to know that we've pleased them, we feel more secure in our place when we are pleased, when we are pleasing to other people. We feel, in a word, safer. So esteem isn't just about, you know, oh, okay, great, I feel I've accomplished my physical needs and my secure needs and my relationship needs. Esteem kind of builds on all of those. If we have esteem from others, we feel loved. If we have esteem from those we work with, we feel safe. And if we have a job that's continuing to pay us, well, that allows for us to continue to take care of our physical needs. So, kablamo. That's actually why I think it's right around this part of the pyramid that things get a little murky, tricky, less neat and tidy. Because if you just look at the pyramid, Maslow's pyramid, it looks like it's very straightforward. First you do this, then you can do that, then you can do that. But at a certain point, and I would argue it's this one, uh, 
it starts to become something where one informs the other and it works in both directions. It's not just that I need to feel physically satiated, you know, fed. I also need esteem to continue to allow me to work in the place I do because if people I work with don't like me, they can fire me. Anyway, you know where I'm going with this. HSP don't just need to be fed, they need to be nourished. They need to be able to turn their bodies, tune into their body's rhythms and pay attention. That requires bandwidth. That's hard to sustain when you're add on top of that the need to stay safe. How do we stay safe? By paying for a home. How do we afford a home? By getting a decent paying job. How do we get and keep a job? By continuously producing good quality work in an area we're held responsible for. That's basically where I'm getting at here. So now, here's a pickle. What happens when your boss asks you to stay late for work to finish up a project because you are the one we trust and now we know that you'll get the job done? Okay, you've just been fed a fabulous compliment by someone you love. It's your boss. And I'm, I'm assuming this is a boss you like. I'm trying to paint actually a pretty nice you know, case scenario here. So you know you need rest. You know it because you've been working hard. You know you need to stop and eat a healthy meal. But in order to afford healthy food, you need to keep this job. <laughs> and you don't want to fail your boss because you do hold her in high esteem, if you will, and you want her to continue to hold you in high esteem. There's that word again. What are you most likely to do? Stop, go to the gym, run home, make a healthy meal, and then go back to work at midnight and pull an all-nighter? I would venture to say probably not. What many HSP do is run to the nearest and most efficient food source. They are feeling stressed because their systems are being taxed. They aren't permitting themselves to get the rest and recovery they need. So they are trying to make up for it with food that's likely high in sugar, fat, and salt. They can work on their body later. This report is due tomorrow. I would say my clients come to me with one of these three issues. Weight, stress, money. They want to work on those aspects. And usually they want to come in with each one of those three because they've kind of figured out everything else. At least they think so. I've got my work figured out. Now I just have to figure out how to use those tools in the realm of weight. Uh, I've got all of this stuff balanced. I just really wish I wasn't so stressed out all the time. But the more we work together, the more we start to realize that these are simply surface area issues that are linked in with a deep-rooted challenge around this one area, esteem over and over again, esteem. Specifically, they desperately want to maintain the high esteem those around them have offered them in exchange for their hard work, love, attention, etc. In other words, at the root of many issues that HSP struggle with is the competition they experience between self-esteem and esteem others around them hold for them. Why does this get all mixed up? Why is this a competition? Isn't self-esteem and high esteem others would give them one and the same? Or at least aren't they correlated? Like if I have high self-esteem, wouldn't others have more esteem for me? Well, I don't know if that's true, but often the perception is no. <laughs> um, many highly sensitive people were told at an early age that they needed to beef up, grow up, and get a thicker skin. I know I was. Many of those I work with claim they were told at a young age they were too sensitive. Given their capacity to reflect deeply, many take that to heart and bury it deep in their unconscious. They start learning how to override their needs in favor of presenting a front to others. They can hack it. They can get it with the best of them. They got this. They figured it out. And they're pleasantly surprised to find they absolutely can. HSP are very intelligent. At least the ones that I've met are certainly very intelligent. 
that deep processing apparently comes in handy in many areas after all. You kind of have to have a certain IQ to process. Plus, they're wired for empathy. They aren't necessarily all good people, mind you, but they have the capacity to understand the needs of others very well. Put these two things together, the idea that their sensitivity is a problem on the one hand, and the ability to easily assess what others want from those around them, I mean, on the other hand, and it's easy to understand why highly sensitive people might rely heavily on external cues to give them a sense of esteem. They haven't been taught to trust their own instincts or personal report cards, so they learn to produce for others. If I can't trust my own instincts because everyone around me keeps telling me I'm too sensitive anyway, then I should at least be able to trust the A that I got in my report card in school. This is why so often highly sensitive people believe they really only have two options in life. They can play it small and live comfortably. Maybe they don't make much money, but dang it, they can take rest when they need it, and they can feed their bodies when they want to, and they can take quiet time when they absolutely are starving for it. Or they can play big. They can really go out there. They can become the lawyer, the attorney, the doctor, the nurse, the whatever it is that you want to do, the engineer, whatever. They can be that big person, make the big bucks, go out and influence all kinds of people, but they pay the price with their physical health. You know, they sacrifice long hours at the office even though their bodies are screaming for rest. The truth is that highly sensitive people really can do both. In fact, I would say we not only need to do both for ourselves, but the world needs it from us. We need to show the world an alternative view of how to live a good life. I say that not just because, you know, oh, because we're so sensitive and super special, we just need to go out there. It's, I mean, think about it. There may be far more people who don't identify as being highly sensitive, but there may be a ton of those highly, not so highly sensitive people, rather, who would dearly love to live a life that is similar to what a sensitive person considers optimal. Imagine if you, this highly sensitive person, went out and figured out how to make a living doing what you love and influencing many, many people, and then your extroverted, you know, not so sensitive friend said, God, that's amazing. I didn't even know that was an option. I mean, I don't necessarily need to have that much rest, but it didn't really even occur to me that I could if I wanted to. Whoa, that's an option? So by you going out and being yourself, you're kind of inviting other people to do the same. So it, with us, it might be coming from a place of necessity, but with others, maybe it's, it may come from a place of inspiration. I can say for myself, I am so not perfect, but there are a few things I have figured out. Like I, I work, my work is something I'm deeply passionate about, and I figured out how to get paid to do what I do. To be fair, I work all the time. Part of the time I work in a larger organization uh, that's only about 20 hours or so, but fortunately it's enough to get insured, which is almost unheard of nowadays. Uh, the other part of the time I work as a consultant for other startups, and finally my passion project is my own private practice where I help highly sensitive people become their best selves and go out there in the world and, and give to the world all of their gifts, but without sacrificing themselves in the process. So I basically have, uh, if you want to categorize it, three jobs. <laughs> so it's a lot of work. I work many hours, 
But each of my jobs are phenomenally flexible, and a lot of the work I do is from home. I get to speak with people either in person or over the phone or via text who inspire me every day. And when I really need to take some rest, I can. A couple of weeks ago, I, I this last couple of weeks, I've just been slammed. My body was screaming at me. I was just so oh, fueled by the work I was doing. I'm like, I'm going to keep going. And then my body just kaputted out on me. <laughs> so I had to take some rest. And I was able to do that without losing any of my jobs because it's flexible. So my life still needs a lot of working out. And I often find myself pushing too hard when I need to calm it down a little. But at the end of the day, when I need to take care of myself, I can. And I ultimately just want to help others be able to do the same thing. Um, number two, I figured out how to communicate my needs to others I love very much. Now, admittedly, there are times when I desperately want to stay home and recharge, but a friend of mine is aching and needs some company, and I go to them, and I make that choice, and sometimes that's a hard choice to make because then I'm exhausted. And I don't mean that my friends are exhausting me. I, I don't feel victimized by my relationships. I feel in, strengthened by them, but that's Primarily because I realize this is a choice I'm making. Whether I choose to say to my friends, I love you, but I can't, or whether I choose to say, I love you and I will, that's my choice. And my ability to communicate, I love you, even as I say, I can't, is something I've start I'm starting to learn how to do, even if I don't use it as often as perhaps I should. I, I don't know. Um, I also know when I can push my body a little and when I can't. I figured out those times when it might be appropriate to sort of push a little harder and go, come on, baby, you can do it! And those days when it's just like, no. <laughs> you can, but you'll pay for it. Don't do it. Um, I'm starting to learn how to trust my instincts on that score. So when something feels off, I used to just say, yeah, well, whatever, where's the evidence? And, you know, that's worked fine. Um, I've... There have been relationships with people where I've waited until I had evidence. There have been jobs where I waited until there was evidence. But at the end of the day, my first gut instinct always ended up being right. I haven't seen an example yet where my gut instinct was completely off. So I'm starting to learn how to trust it faster and faster. You know, really I, you challenge my assumptions, sure, but trust my instincts on some on a deep level. And at the end of the day, I hold myself in some measure of esteem. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that no matter how hard I fall or how badly I fail, I will figure out how to pick up and move on. I'm an HSP, which means I can more easily get knocked off my feet from my surroundings, but I'm an HSP, which means I'm really adaptable and I learn quickly. I'm resilient, even if not Herculean in strength. So. In terms of how to develop these things for you, I don't think most HSP need to learn the lesson of how to develop esteem from the outside. That's not what I'm noting that so many of the people who come to me are struggling with. They've figured that out just fine. I've yet to meet an HSP who didn't have their external front put together beautifully. HSP know how to please those around them and cultivate esteem from their peers, often because they're such hard workers. The tricky part is developing a sense of self-esteem, that inner knowing that you are worth taking care of, that you are inherently deserving of, say, a nourishing meal, or rest, or an hour spent outside taking a walk, or five minutes staring into oblivion. You know, self-esteem is based on something ethereal, difficult to grasp. 
and even as much research as I tried to do on it, the basic consensus is that it's often based on our own thoughts of ourselves. And given that sensitivity is something given feedback in our culture that is wrong, it's weird, it's strange, it's something you need to work on and, and sort of push past, you know, it makes sense that perhaps we would start building an internal narrative that suggests there's something wrong with us. Highly sensitive people, while good at presenting a compelling front, often hide a narrative of, deep down, something in me is weird or broken. That is what I really want you to start challenging after you're done with this episode. That is what I want your homework to be, to build on your sense of self-esteem. So what's in it for you, though? I mean, sure, you might feel nice, warm, fuzzy, or maybe not. Maybe it just seems kind of like woo-woo stuff that you heard on this, some self-help book somewhere. Um, not exactly. So <laughs> when you spend time developing yourself and your sense of self-worth, it has an impact on other people around you, and it has an impact on how people treat you. Uh, John Maxwell I'll be honest, I actually don't know who that is, <laughs> but he's quoted having said, in life, we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. In other words, if you believe yourself to be inherently worthy of health, rest, nourishment, love, respect, blah, 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 then others around you will often follow suit. I'm not talking about arrogance, and I'm not talking about magic. I'm just talking about confidence. Confidence is sexy. Confidence looks good on everyone. Confidence is that quality that even when someone doesn't necessarily have the classic sense of handsome or beautiful or whatever, there is this something, this mm, that they've got. It's usually confidence. And it's not confidence coming from some, you know, based in something external or something outside of them. It's usually something that's in their core. And how to build that seems to be the real key here. Uh, I, there's not really just one answer, although I did some digging and found uh, resources from others who are, you know, frankly, much smarter than me, and I'm happy to share that with all of you. So the first comes from uh, Nico Everett. Uh, she did a TED Talk presentation on how to build self-esteem, and she presents herself to her audience and describes her struggles with it, and that she started to build a program for young girls to cultivate better self-esteem when she herself at the time was struggling with this very thing. Uh, and it was in large part because of that struggle that they had so much success together because that vulnerability she brought to the space was felt and heard from those around her and so they just kind of hashed it out together. Uh, the kinds of things that seemed to help in her group that she worked with included spending time with people who make you feel good about yourself. So that person who zaps the life out of you, get away from them. Swim away. <laughs> Don't go there. I know you think that maybe everybody deserves love, and I don't like that word deserve anyway. Certainly they may be worthy of it, but that doesn't mean that you have to be the one to give it to them. I'm not saying, you know, slap them across the face because maybe they deserve it. They might, but that's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying it's okay to walk away. It's okay not to say yes, even if you have trouble saying no. Don't volunteer. <laughs> Just, it's okay to gravitate toward people who make you feel like your best self. It's imperative that you do so. As a highly sensitive person, you're more impacted by those around you. You feel them on your own skin in a way that others may not. So if they don't make you feel good, get the hell out of there. And then on the flip side, 
you know, when you yourself are just alone and you're noticing that, you know, you, you're having to cope with some of the meanest words you've ever heard in your life, i.e. the words you're telling yourself, try instead to look for any instance where a good thought about yourself comes up. Typically, according to Nico Everett, and I, would, I can mirror this for myself, for every good thought we have, there's usually 10 more that we can think of that was awful about ourselves. Oh yeah, sure, fine, my hair might look good today, but my thighs are huge and my whatever. So the idea is, take a moment, turn up the volume. Anytime you hear a good thought in your own mind, turn that up. And then conversely, every time you have a negative thought, just erase it. In your mind, take an eraser and just, or, you know, given that we're in the new tech era, push the delete button or something. Because you do have, you can't control your thoughts, but you do have influence. You can influence the direction of your thoughts. So turn up the volume on the stuff that makes you feel good. Erase the stuff that doesn't serve you. And then finally, if you receive a compliment from another person, this is kind of back to that realm of external esteem, I know, but there are plenty of times when I've received a compliment and I swear everything in my whole system is just like, nah, uh-uh, mm-mm, I'm not taking that in. There's no way I'm doing that. Deflect or hurry up and give them a compliment or I don't know, but dear God, get this away from me. I don't want to have to take that in. That That's so sweet, it hurts. Knock it off. I know you know the experience when you've given someone a compliment and they brush it off. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't serve anybody. So instead, when you receive a compliment, just pause, look them in the eye, and say, thank you. That's it. That's the biggest thing. Just say thank you. (laughs) It's not a big deal. And if it's hard, just experiment. Take it in and just say thank you. Um, The next person I, I remember sort of listening to on this, another TED Talk, because I'm an HSP. It's what I do. I listen to TED Talks. He, J.P. Sears, does this whole presentation on saying yes to your inner weirdness, which I think, obviously, as an HSP, being only one member of about 15% of the population, I'll buy in what you're selling. (laughs) Yes. Uh, He said a few things that I thought were very powerful. Uh, He said, you know, a desire to be normal is really based on fear. It's based on this sort of rejection of ourselves as we really are. We want to assure ourselves that no one can reject us. So if I reject me and I don't even bring myself to the table, then I don't allow myself to be rejected by you. And he uses these words. It's almost like saying, well, (laughs) I don't want you to kill me, so I'll kill myself first. It's a lousy way of doing things. And he goes on to say, you know, your weirdness is a big part of what makes you, you. You know, if if I were pretending to know what the purpose of life is, I think it would be something to do with you living in accordance with who you are. Again, his words, not mine. And, you know, as he's speaking about it, he he continues to say weirdness, and all I'm imagining is, oh my god, thank you, because I am so weird. (laughs) Like, so many levels of weird are inside of me. And it's lovely to get an invitation to embrace it, as opposed to... Uh, command to diminish it or hide it and you know it it actually reminded me of a book I know I've cited before uh, Glennon Doyle's Love Warrior she talks about how there's a real self that's inside of us you might want to call it our, our inner weirdness if you will and we hide our true selves and instead we send out our representative 
And we do that in a hope to develop esteem from others because we put out there what we know they want to see and we get back what we think we want. But we never actually get what we need because they never actually see us. They only ever see our representative. I don't know if she herself identifies as a highly sensitive person. I mean, it certainly sounds like it, but I don't want to put any words or labels on her that she hasn't herself claimed. But I will say I dearly love the way she described herself, at least at the start of her book, as a kind of canary. You know, she talked about how miners long ago used to take canaries in the tunnels with them to warn of poisonous gases. Canaries, being more sensitive, would feel the effects of the poison sooner. If the birds stopped singing, it was time for miners to get out. Doyle suggested that some of us, I would personally argue that she may have been talking about us sensitive folks, but that may just be wishful thinking on my part, uh, but some of us are more acutely sensitive to the toxicity of our world. We get hit sooner than most. Because this world is a bit toxic. We have to admit it. I know it because at least 30 million people are currently diagnosed with diabetes in the U.S. alone. And this is a condition that's known to be, at least with type 2 diabetes, predominantly behavioral, at least in the sense that we have, there's a behavioral component. You know, it's, it's our lifestyle choices that are aggravating it. 8 million people have eating disorders. Those are just the ones diagnosed. At least 160 million people are considered overweight or obese, which may or may not actually be a problem in and of itself. More on that later. But it does indicate an imbalance of some kind. And it can't all boil down to lack of personal responsibility. Now, I mean, something in the metaphorical water is wrong. Something's wrong with the system we've set up. We built a system that was meant to support us. Instead, we've begun sacrificing ourselves to support the system. We keep trying to push harder and harder to prove we can hack it, but we haven't stopped to ask if we should hack it, if it's worth the sacrifice. So what better time to start talking about revolutionizing the way we view ourselves? To do so is probably the bravest thing we can possibly do, because if I find a way to live that is in alignment with who I ultimately want to be, I not only improve my own life, I improve the lives of others. I get the hell out of their way. <laughs> I'm not moping around. I stop being a drain on resources. I stop needing therapy. <laughs> I stop being a drag to hang out with. I also serve as a potential example to others. Yes, you too can live a life that looks like you. It doesn't have to be my life. My God, I wouldn't wish my life on anyone who didn't want it. It can be yours. Something uniquely yours just as mine is uniquely my own. Before you can do that, you have to kind of believe you're worthy of it. I don't like the word deserve, and I'm just kind of putting my own baggage out there. Deserve is sort of that I deserve just because I'm awesome, and I don't really like it because that seems like you're not willing to work for it. Oh, you deserve love. You deserve chocolate. Screw you. You don't deserve anything. You're just kind of here. But you are worthy of it. You know, the moment you do that, you say to yourself, you know, I am worthy of love. You know, I'm worthy of rest. I'm worthy of a nourishing meal. Like there's this being that I've become, I'm worthy of these things. The moment you do that, you present a model for others around you to do the same. And that's a beautiful thing, right? 
I mean, hey, imagine. Hey, Betty figured out how to work in a job she likes, get paid enough to eat every day, and live in an area she loves. She's figured out how to carve out time for herself and for her relationships. And she's sloppy. I mean, have you seen the woman? Her house is often a mess, and things are crazy, and she's silly, and she makes all these mistakes, and I know I've seen typos in her report before. But she's totally okay with her messiness. And everybody loves her. Hell, I love her. What's with that? <laughs> it's like, if she can be okay with her messiness, and I still love her to death, maybe I could start being okay with my messiness. Maybe I could, as J.P. Sears says, embrace my weirdness. So the bottom line here is, you know, my big, beautifully, highly sensitive people. Yes, you do have physical needs. Yes, you do have security needs. Yes, you do need love of others. And yes, you do need esteem. But it's not all neat and tidy. It doesn't always work in an orderly fashion. Sometimes you first need to recognize that you are a person worthy of respect and admiration and that you therefore deserve to eat a healthy meal before you're expected to engage in work. You are worth taking out for a walk during lunchtime. You are worthy of living in a safe space. You are worthy of love and respect from others around you. You very likely will have to work very hard for it. It won't just come to you just because you're worthy of it or even if you like the word deserve. <clears throat> just because you deserve it doesn't mean that you are just going to be handed it. That's not how life works. Not in nature. Not in the world we've created. You've got to go out there and you've got to demand. Like you've got to be the one to say I'm going to go get this and I'm going to, if it takes my blood, sweat and tears, I'm going to make it worth it. Sort of like Brene Brown. <clears throat> she, she said, that she hates the question, what would you do if you couldn't, if you knew you couldn't fail? And I'm with her on this because, please, like, please. <laughs> like, if I knew I couldn't fail, who the hell do you, what? Oh, because if I just knew I couldn't fail, then obviously I won't. Well, that's sissy lala bull feces. Uh-uh. Instead, she asks, what's worth doing even if you do fail? That, I think, is the right question to ask. Because if you can think to yourself, I want to do this thing so badly that even if I fall flat on my face trying to get it, I'm going to say to myself, Welp, totally worth it. That's what to go for. And I would say trying to create a life for yourself that looks like you is definitely worth striving for, even if you fail. Especially if you fail. Because when you fail, you say to others, yep, I even failed at this. You probably will too, and it's still worth doing. So stop being scared and go for it. So my homework for all of you, should you decide to take it on, is to spend the week looking for qualities in yourself that you admire and respect. I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, okay, go find the job you want. Go find the love of your life. Go find, that's wait, that's big picture stuff and you're welcome to go dream about it if you want to, but I just want to start really small here. What do you like about you? What are some things about you that you're keeping in a private secret place and you're terrified to really show other people, but you think secretly, at least for yourself, that it's kind of awesome. It's a little lovely. Try and turn up the volume to those thoughts. And if you get some time between now and next week, I would love to hear from you. What do you most respect and admire about yourself? In the meantime, take care and remember, play big, but stay well. 
If you have questions, uh, are interested in coaching, or just want to connect with a fellow HSP, you can email me at leahburkhart at healthysensitive.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HealthyHSP, Facebook at The Healthy Sensitive, and on Instagram at The Healthy Sensitive. As I said, stay well, have a wonderful week, take good care.